Hello, you're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our guest is Angie Pham, Managing Director and Head of Internet Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking. This episode was recorded on June 3rd, 2022. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our episode on the creator economy and the future of content. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're talking here with Angie Pham, the Managing Director and Head of Internet Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. Now, this year has been a tough one in the market for technology, so we thought we'd take a deep dive into a phenomenon that we think is only poised to grow bigger and one that has real investment implications the creator economy. Here we'll define what the creator economy is, the impact on the consumer, how we get our information, how we buy stuff. We'll discuss its impact on the big traditional internet players, and we'll discuss the promise of Web 3.0 and the role of disruptive new players in the market. All of this is important information for investors and human beings, actually, who live in this age of a rapidly evolving internet. Angie Pham is the perfect person for us to have this discussion with. As I said, she's the head of internet investment banking at Oppenheimer, and Angie works with clients across consumer internet, e-commerce, marketplaces, digital media, and advertising technology companies, all of the pertinent players who help drive this discussion. So with all of that, let's jump in with a warm welcome to Angie. Thank you so much, Jane, and really appreciate you having me here. Me too. Okay, so let's get started with the basics. The creator economy, what is it? So Jane, before we actually even get into the definition, I think for anybody that's newer to this, you and I, along with anyone else that's listening here, has likely already participated in the creator economy. Whether you've watched or even created your own TikTok dance or learned a new cleaning hack on YouTube or even bought something on social media through a sponsored ad, or actually us even right here recording this podcast makes us all participants in the creator economy. If we break it down, the creator economy is actually defined as a community of individuals, anyone who develops or produces or shares their skill, passion, creativity, or content through the internet and through digital platforms. I'm sure we'll get into each of these components during the podcast, but if we then break that down further, there's really basically three main constituents that make up the creator economy. The one, the creators themselves. Two, the digital platforms who host these creators. And finally, third, the consumer themselves. Okay, so creators, digital platforms, consumers. As a bystander, it seems to me that this has all come together very quickly. Is this a new phenomenon? Well, interestingly enough, the creator economy has actually been around for, for quite some time. 
YouTube started out and was one of the oldest creator platforms and had borne out millions of creators who earn a living off publishing videos with the likes of Dude Perfect, Mr. Beast, Charlie D'Amelio. The creator economy has always been about individuality and finding a place for self-expression. It's really about catering to specific communities that build a true fan base um, for one's work and then trying to monetize that. And so you have these digital platforms such as YouTube and Instagram and Spotify who've given these creators a place for unparalleled distribution. It allows creators to actually bypass traditional businesses and traditional industries and, and moving past the likes of large media conglomerates and publishing houses and recording labels to reach their audience. And so, you know, when we take a look, the scale of the creator economy today is absolutely astonishing. More than 50 million people consider themselves creators. Wow. And okay, so 50 million people consider themselves creators. Let's break that down a little bit. You mentioned the three legs of your stool. So let's start with the consumer and put that into context and how pervasive this has been for the consumer. Absolutely. That's the amazing place for us to, to get started. So the consumer, who's the third of the three constituents I mentioned earlier, these creators, you know, through the digital and social platforms, have actually fundamentally changed the way we as consumers today consume content and information, how we purchase goods, how we all interact with each other. And so to talk about the pervasiveness, you know, that you mentioned and to give you some perspective on its magnitude, let me actually share some statistics. Over 58% of the world's population are actual active social media users, and this has increased 10% year over year. Of these 4.6 billion social media users, each person on average spent close to two and a half hours per day on social media platforms, which includes the social networking platforms as well as apps such as WhatsApp and WeChat. And if we then peel the onion a little bit, in the US, looking across the social networking applications such as Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter, on average, US users spend 97 minutes per day on these platforms. That's over one and a half hours a day. This grew 2.6% in 2021 and 16% in 2020. So Jane, earlier, you know, I, I think we mentioned a little bit about the pandemic and some of the trends and the tailwinds that we've seen, you know, recently and the adoption of social media during that time. So although the growth in 2021 may actually seem muted, it's actually quite important as it demonstrates that these social platforms have actually been able to maintain the gain that came out of the pandemic. And so, you know, then diving a little bit further, you know, one in three people have made purchases on social media and one in four have actually purchased something after seeing an ad on social networks. Right. Okay. So clearly this is very pervasive throughout the consumer ecosystem. And it sounds to me like, and given these huge numbers, it feels like the traditional digital platforms are still dominating this space. Is that right? That's absolutely right. I mean, talking about the digital platforms, it is definitely still dominated by the large social media players, names that we all know and have already talked about. You have Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram, who are all owned by Meta. You have YouTube, who's owned by Google, and the newcomer TikTok, who's owned by ByteDance, the only private you know, company out of these names. And so amongst them, the battle of the creators have actually been building over the past few years. 
And we expect that competition will only continue to stiffen. They absolutely recognize the criticality of you know, the creators and the role that they play. And so if we look at Facebook, for the first time in Facebook's history, we saw a decline in their daily active users in Q4 of last year, which in part is due to them being late to the creator game. And so you now have Facebook launching Reels, a shorter video feature, to really combat TikTok and to attract younger users. And then on TikTok, you know, they were actually founded in just 2016, and we saw a massive meteoric rise because of their focus on creators and creative content, which propelled them to 1 billion users in 2021. They got there in half the time it took Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And so TikTok is really winning the battle, especially for the attention of Gen Z and millennials. And so the average U.S. adult spends 40 minutes a day on TikTok, which doubles at the younger ages. And so, you know, going back, you know, these social media platforms absolutely realize the criticality of these creators and, and as such are making even greater investments to retain these creators and actually provide them better monetization tools, as well as they've actually created their own, you know, essential creator funds. So for example, Meta set aside a billion dollars to invest in creators across Facebook and Instagram. You have TikTok that launched a $200 million creator fund and introduced tipping and video gifting. And YouTube did the same with a $100 million fund for creators of YouTube shorts. Yeah, I mean, clearly the dollars are there, but you mentioned Gen Z and millennials and the sharp growth in TikTok. And I don't want to bring us down, but I think we have to mention there's, there's a dark side to this, right? Particularly amongst younger users. Yeah, I mean, based on the statistics that, you know, we just talked about and highlighted, you know, we we can absolutely see how engaging and how addicting some of these platforms can be. And the secret sauce, especially behind the power of TikTok, is really about the algorithm that works in that background. They are able to create a personalized and very, very customized recommendation engine just for you by ranking the videos you watch and along with a combination of other factors. They are absolutely extremely effective in keeping users hyper-engaged so that you watch videos after videos after videos from these creators. But yes, it can be a very slippery slope. And as a mom of two kids under 10, I can absolutely relate to this. The data has shown that the addictiveness of these platforms can be a factor in driving anxiety, depression, and overall decline in mental health of young people today. But I I don't think we can expect for these issues to dissipate because these platforms are fundamentally designed to actually compete for and captivate our time and attention. But, you know, companies have recognized this and they are implementing age limits, parental controls, and other protection mechanisms to try to stem some of these very real issues. It's you know, it's hard because it's truly a double-edged sword as these platforms on the flip side allow people and young people to be creative, to be expressive, to share interests, and to learn collaboratively. Ultimately, it's really about democratizing content, which has driven this massive momentum that we see in the creator economy, which is why when you ask, you know, creators and influencers is 
by far one of the most popular career for kids today. Wow. It's crazy. So it's a good place to, to stay on that. So let's talk about those creators themselves. How do these creators monetize all of this? How do the economics work? Yeah, traditionally, it's really all about brand sponsorships, which still today represents the largest revenue source for these creators. And it's because of the influence and the engagement and the audience that these creators hold. So once a creator is able to build a network of fans and a loyal audience, that's when brands and companies actually start to pay attention and the actual dollars start to flow in through the form of influencer marketing and sponsorship. And so brand companies, brand and companies are actually spending more and more of their advertising budget on influencer marketing. In 2021, 70% of U.S. marketers actually used influencer marketing, and they spent about $3.7 billion. This is up 34% from 2020, and it's actually expected to continue eclipsing $4 billion in 2022. However, this is actually still a very small number compared to the total amount of ad spend in all of social media. And so, you know, in 2020, $177 billion is actually expected to be spent on social media advertising. And historically, the social platforms didn't actually provide ways for these creators to monetize the content. You know, YouTube was one of the exceptions that shared 55% of their ad revenue with creators. And, you know, just recently in 2020, Instagram followed suit, offering the same. And then TikTok recently announced that it was going to share 50% of ad revenue from Pulse with approved creators. But I mean, if we had to go back and take a look at the 50 million creators that I mentioned earlier, despite all these billions of dollars that we're talking about, it actually may be surprising to those listening in that only 2 million out of the 50 are able to actually make a living and make a six-figure salary. I know. It's so interesting because I think the perception out there is that this is such a lucrative thing and that, you know, you, you talked about kids, this is what they want to be, but your statistics show that it's really a very long shot. So, okay, so we've talked about the creators, we've talked about the consumers. What about the infrastructure to support all of this? What are the players in the ecosystem and how does that work? Yeah, thanks, Jane. And so we talked about the big social platforms. They historically have always served as the gatekeepers, you know, for these creators to connect and to monetize their audience. And so anybody, I mean, you and I can be a creator. We can pick up our phone, we can record a video or podcast or publish a post, but not everyone can amass a following. And even fewer can actually monetize in a meaningful way on these platforms which is why we have this long tail of creators, the other 47 or 48 million creators that we talked about that are underrepresented and under monetized. And so we now have creators breaking off these platforms and looking for more control and other revenue streams beyond ads and sponsorships, such as subscriptions and merchandise, you know, coaching newsletters and premium content. And this is also why you have tons of upstarts, you know, focusing on serving these creators directly and more specifically for those needs. And so in just 2021 alone, we saw over $5 billion of funding going to companies focused on the creator economy. These are the companies that are really empowering creators and giving them tools to create and edit content, you know, tools to better engage their followers 
and manage their community and ultimately, you know, really additional ways to make money and to monetize their content. And previously on the large social media platforms, creators were just a part of their ecosystem. But now with these new upstarts and new burgeoning companies, creators are now center stage. And so you have companies like Patreon that was founded to really allow creators to showcase their content with a differentiated monetization model. It was built on a membership model that allowed fans to support and receive direct access to exclusive content of their favorite creators by paying them a monthly amount. And here on Patreon, creators keep 95% of their earnings with Patreon keeping only 5%. You also have other new creator-focused companies that are looking to disrupt every single vertical we can think about. You have companies like Substack that was founded in 2017 that you know is disrupting the print media space. Substack really thinks about providing the infrastructure and the tools to allow writers to create and monetize newsletters that are sent to their subscribers. Or you have companies like Kajabi that is disrupting the education space. And Kajabi really thinks about servicing what they define as the knowledge entrepreneur and provides an all-in-one platform that allows a creator to build and market and sell online courses and membership sites and coaching programs. Or you actually have companies like Carrot that is disrupting the traditional financing space. As we all know, it takes capital for many of these creators to get started and to scale their businesses. And so Carrot is really focused on financing and lending for these creators specifically. We're really finding that companies are evolving and really changing all of these verticals that we're talking about. And so you also have Magisto that's in the fitness and video content creative space or Anchor in the audio content space or Roblox and Manticore in the game creation space. And so we have hundreds of other you know, companies focused on services and tools as well. Yeah, that's a really good list for our listeners to know and be familiar with to watch for the future. And speaking of the future, what we like to do here is talk future. And, you know, you've given us a great sense of what the world looks like today in the creator economy. And as you look ahead, what do you see? What should we expect going forward? Yeah, Jamie, that's how I spend, you know, most of my time is thinking ahead and thinking about where where does this you know creator economy go and so we've talked you know quite a bit about these big social platforms and you know we will continue to see and we expect them to invest into and develop additional tools and features to continue to attract and keep creators and to help them monetize but there's probably two other trends that's important for us to talk about and one that we haven't even gotten into and is a great importance to the creators and influencers and shifts in the advertising dollars that we talked about and and which is really around privacy policy. And so last year, Apple announced this massive change that really shook the world around their privacy policy. And when they rolled out iOS 14.5, what it did was it enabled iPhone users to opt out of data sharing, which limits the tracking abilities of these digital advertisers that we talked about. And Google has actually taken similar but smaller steps with their Android operating system. And so we've seen this have a massive, massive impact to the major social media companies 
who traditionally relied on user data to deliver targeted ad to consumers. And so we do expect this to continue to impact them and for the remaining part of this year and, and likely into the foreseeable future. And as a result, what does that mean? Um, advertising is now more costly to these brands and to these companies and you know, forcing them to actually look for alternate and more effective ways to find and reach the consumer. And so, you know, greater dollars will likely shift to these creators and influencers that we're talking about because they're the ones that actually hold and, and have this captive community and audience that brands and companies absolutely desire and need to target. And so moving on to the second trend that I was talking about, you know, we've heard a lot in and around us in this industry about the next evolution of the Internet with Web 3.0. And, you know, Web 3.0 is really about fundamentally decentralizing content creation and sharing and shifting the power directly to these creators and their communities. And, you know, we expect that to drive even greater tailwinds and growth for the creator economy. And so with these Web 3 innovations such as NFTs and blockchain technology, um, we really believe that this will give and enable creators other alternative forms of monetization. And so, you know, for example, we have OpenSea, who was actually founded on building a decentralized marketplace that allows users to buy and sell NFTs. And, you know, with Web3, we believe these transparent business models will actually provide greater diversified revenue streams that includes crypto crypto and open up an entire new network of potential customers for these creators and influencers. And, you know, blockchain will actually reduce piracy and set these permanent payment structures, you know, for royalties and allow creators to actually take charge of the content and the delivery mechanism. Well, crypto NFTs, that's a subject for a whole nother episode. So we're going to do that another time. Let me ask you about capital markets. It's obviously been a, a tough year in tech. A bunch of the private companies that you talked about, it sounds like they're pretty well capitalized. Do you expect to see much in the way of deal activity this year? Yeah, Jane. I mean, we came off of record years in 21 and 22. And you know, many of these companies that we just talked about have received private funding in the past couple of years. And given all the tailwinds and trends, I absolutely expect these private fundings to continue because innovation in the creator economy is still in its early innings. And on the public market front, you do have you know, folks like Rumble, who's a YouTube competitor in the process of going public right now through a SPAC. However, all in all, we do not expect many others given the current macro environment. The IPO market is likely much more of a 2023 or 2024 phenomenon. But interestingly, in these turbulent times like this, where there's a lot of talks around inflation and about a potential recession, you know, we really see the creator economy as somewhat recession proof and can be and is a brighter spot you know, for investment and for people, because ultimately these are the consumers and these are the creators who's actually looking to use their talent 
to generate supplemental income. Well, I love ending on a positive note and recession proof and brighter spot gives us the opportunity to do that. So I really want to thank you for your time. It's just so lovely talking to you about this topic that's only going to continue to grow in importance. So thank you so much for sharing your time today. Thank you, Jane. It's been a pure pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode, and remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.